Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is Mash Matters. Yeah. Yeah, wake up. What? what? Oh my gosh, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just having a, a little dream or a nightmare or something. Why? What do you want? What are we doing? We've got wounded coming in, Jeff. Wounded? Holy moly. I don't know what to do. We've got a podcast to do, Jeff. Come on. Oh, it's a wounded podcast. Oh, my gosh. What do you do for those? I don't know. Quintman, Sal? I'm going back to sleep. You go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, this is Mash Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television show of all time, hosted by a guy who loves the show and a guy who was on the show. I'm Ryan Patrick, alongside my friend, Mr. Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. And I love the show, too. You're not the only one that oh, loves the show. I know you do. No, I no, no. I know. Too. I know. I know. But it was your job, too. It was my job. I was never paid to watch Mash, but you were paid to be on Mash. So Not that well, as a matter of fact, but... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the pay wasn't that well, or your acting wasn't that well. You need to well, clarify. Well, hey, I don't want to get into any. Okay, of those. all right, let's, all right. Let's not go there. <laughs> That's a debate among many Mash fans. Uh, along with uh, the episode that we're going to discuss today, yes, this is the twenty-second episode of season eight. Originally broadcast on Tuesday, February eighteenth, nineteen eighty, and it's the episode that is probably. The most polarizing of all MASH episodes, and we're talking about dreams. The most polarizing, even more so than uh, Henry Blake's uh, demise. Yeah. This is quite an episode created, uh, written, and directed by quite a guy named Alan Alda, Mm -hmm. who uh, did a magnificent job, if I may say, with Mm -hmm. this episode. And though some people like it, and though some people don't like it, you cannot deny that it was a magnificent effort. Yes. Much more much more significant and uh, very heavy duty than all the other MASH episodes. And that's the general consensus among MASH fans. You know, we put the call out on social media saying, hey, what do you think about the episode Dreams? We got a lot of responses and it was about 50-50. 50% of the people saying, I love it. It's one of my favorite episodes. And the other half saying, nope, I skipped this one. I don't like it. But even the ones who said they didn't like it, a lot of them said, you know, I didn't necessarily like the episode, but I understood what they were trying to do with the episode. So we have an interview here, and we'll we'll talk about that here in a moment. But during the interview, we do read some of the listener comments, but we didn't get to a lot of them. So we wanted to read a few more listener comments about dreams before we jump into our interview with our special guest. Megan Bridget, our friend Megan, says, I think it is an incredibly important episode. Is it one of my favorites? No. Do I skip it? No. The show was about the war and the people dealing with and living with that reality. And to be witness to the dreams of the characters and people we love so much, intimate and sacred, in my opinion, we were privileged viewers in this episode. And uh, D. Everton says, it might be my favorite episode of the series. It was experimental and was an effective break from the formula. If I had to put together a list of 10 episodes that give a summary of MASH's story and evolution... Dreams would easily make the cut. In fact, if I had to pick one episode to show someone who's never watched MASH, this is the episode I'd pick. It can stand on its own. Kyle, also known as Kyle Hazard, which, by the way, Jeff, is the artist who did our awesome show art. Yes, terrific artist. He says, love it now, but this episode scared the living hell out of me as a kid. 
I was seven or eight when this came out, and seven-year-old me didn't see the mannequin arms. I saw Hawkeye's real arms being removed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And to that point, Kathy says, it is my least favorite episode Gives me nightmares. Mm. That's just a few of the comments. And we'll read a few more during the interview and a little bit later on. But let's get to this interview because we are joined by not one, not two, but three special guests on this episode. Rick Wong, who was uh, Lieutenant Garvey, the character who didn't want to send Jeeps to the 4077 for fear that they would be damaged and he'd be responsible. And then Catherine Bergstrom, who played Peg Honeycutt. And we can't have Peg without BJ Honeycutt, and so we were honored to once again here on the podcast be joined by the one and only Mr. Mike Farrell. Yes, indeed. And unfortunately, Alan, who we uh, asked to join us, could not join us, mm-hmm. but he did send some information along, which we'll, we will reveal as well. So he is not forgotten, Mr. Alan Alda. Thank you for giving us that information. All right. And now here is our interview with Rick Wan, Catherine Bergstrom, and Mike Farrell. Thank you, everybody. We are having a very special MASH Matters uh, episode today because it features three wonderful people uh, who happen to be on that uh, incredibly controversial but brilliantly done show, Dreams from MASH. And that was in the eighth season. I think it was the 22nd episode, if I'm not mistaken. 22nd episode. Written and directed by Alan Alda. There is another name connected. And Mike, I'm going to ask you right away about this, see if you know. This name that is connected with the co-writer of the story for Dreams, we cannot find any information on this human being. Do you have any kind of a knowledge about that? The name is what? Uh, (laughs) Minor detail. James J. Rubenfire. Never heard the name. It's probably one of Alan's alter egos. He has several (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, it was when I sent him an email, I have to send it to about five or six different people. Yeah. To make sure he's that person that day. Yeah. Well, gosh. All right. Well, so Dreams was uh, all about the fact that the 4077 was uh, overcrowded with wounded and they were having a really difficult time and they were working so hard that everybody was getting almost no sleep whatsoever. And so they would fall asleep at different times or try and get a catnap or something. And during the dream, uh, they would have very vivid dreams. And some of them were very scary. In fact, all of them were very scary. And it certainly spoke to the place that they were in and the desperation that they felt and the pain that was going on. So, oh boy, that kind of a show led to a lot of controversy among fans because it wasn't the normal mash and it didn't have a laugh track and there weren't a lot of laughs in it. So this show, Dreams, has created a lot of comments, a lot of negative comments because they don't like it. Just for that reason, it wasn't very funny. But it won the Humanitas Award and uh, Writers Guild Awards. And so, gee, oh boy, you don't like it. That's too bad. It was a really brilliantly done show. Maybe they should have called it Nightmares, which is more apt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I haven't introduced our guests, I don't think. Did I do that? You have not. But let me do that. Please do. We've, we've met. okay well i'll forget about it okay uh so that gentleman uh, you probably recognize his voice named mike farrell bj honeycutt on the show mash and uh we also have a wonderful person from that episode Catherine bergstrom 
And she was Peg Honeycutt in that episode. She didn't have a lot of dialogue, but she was very vividly portrayed as uh, Mrs. Honeycutt. And Rick Wan. Now, maybe you don't know Rick Wan from a whole bunch of stuff, but years ago, Rick Wan was one of the most successful commercial actors around. So when people go into audition for commercials and they'd see Rick Wan there, they'd just leave because they all knew that Rick Wan was going to get the job. And so he was a very successful guy and he played Lieutenant Garvey, who was actually kind of the bad guy in the show. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for Lieutenant Garvey, this whole story wouldn't have happened. So thank you everybody for showing up and for coming. We really appreciate it. And people are going to love to hear what you have to say about your experiences with dreams. So Mike, let me start with you because what the heck? <laughs> what what do you remember from the show? I know it was 1980, a few years ago, but do you have any real memories you'd like to share about what was going on that with a very unusual show? Very unusual, to say the least. Yeah. Well, the the show was a form breaker, what we called form breakers, and you know that was the idea that the sh- we we uh, by 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 year eight, the feeling was we can do anything we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and well, we i say we but alan and bert and and larry was gone by then and actually gene was gone by then but uh the the feeling was you know we we need to find ways to kind of uh stir things up and uh, alan is just this incredible imagination machine you know he comes up with these ideas and and then writes them down and they all kind of fall together and make sense and everybody's stupefied by it but my my major memory out of that is getting to dance with Catherine. <laughs> ah, how nice. How nice. How sweet. But Mike, I don't know if you remember, but when I was introduced to you and they and Alan told us what we were going to do in unison, we both said, but we don't dance. We don't know how to dance. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I enjoyed it so much, because you were very generous in leading me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you two were dancing in the OR, right? You went from the, right. yeah, you you came down those stairs in a very elegant, kind of Loretta Young type way. Of course, nobody knows Loretta Young, but she would come down the stairs. You were wonderfully dressed, and you looked so pretty, and you walked down those stairs and kind of floated down, and there was your husband, and you waltzed away into the OR. You know, that was quite a scene. Yeah. yeah. Catherine, what was your path to MASH? How, how were you cast as Peg? You know, I was trying to remember that. I have a feeling, I know that I met with Bert Metcalf and Jean Reynolds, and I have a feeling they just went through the player's directory and saw my picture. I did a lot of commercials in those days, but I really wasn't an actor. You know, I was in the groundlings, but, you know, I really didn't do any television or film acting at that point. So I think that's how it happened. I think I was just cast on a look, wow. which happens to girls. Well, you don't have dialogue in this particular episode. No. It's a good, it was a good thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> you had those steps to navigate. That was probably hard enough to do. Those steps. I have to tell you, they were, they were narrower than they were built. They had built them. And they were narrow than the usual stare. And, and I was wearing heels and I just thought, oh, please, oh, please, please. <laughs> just sit down these stairs. <laughs> if I had a dreamy look on my face, it was because I was having an out-of-body experience. <laughs> Hoping and praying you can get down those stairs. <laughs> really? Wow. That's something. 
So you didn't know Mike at all or anybody on the show connected with the show? I didn't. And I had this experience. I have to tell you, I thought, well, this is great doing television. I mean, everyone was lovely. I was sort of quietly sitting off to the side when I first got there. Harry Morgan came over and introduced himself. Everyone was just lovely. I thought, well, this is a piece of cake. I, you know, I should do this more often. <laughs> It was such a sweet experience, really. Well, but you must have done well because you came back. You were in another episode. Yeah, I was. They brought Peg back. Yeah. 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 And I spoke. You did. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah. Now, Dreams, Alan was directing Dreams. Was he helpful to you? Was he uh, calming or did he scream at you or <laughs> he, did he hit you like he used to hit me? <laughs> I don't remember any screaming. No, I, as I said, everything was lovely and he was wonderful, of course. And as, as you know, my mic talks very eloquently about Alan and just his, you know, his vision and the kind of person he is and the kind of actor and director he is. So it was wonderful. Yeah. Mike, how does the dynamic change when Alan was behind the camera as well as on camera? It just got funnier. (laughs) (laughs) Really? By then, well, by then he started doing it right away, but, but it it was such a kind of um, happy company. It was, to coin a phrase, it was a dream. (laughs) It didn't matter. You know, if Bert was directing or Alan was directing or Harry was directing or uh, whomever, it it just was one of the group, you know, one of the bunch. Mm -hmm. You know, we we might say, well, what about, or particularly when I directed, I'd say, did I do that right? Is that that okay? (laughs) I think, you know, it's a learning experience for some of us, uh, certainly for me. Uh, You know, he was behind, he was writing, he was behind the camera, he was in front of the camera. He's um, just a remarkable human being, I have to say. And as, as Catherine pointed out, there was no, there were no histrionics. There was no star stuff. It was just, come on, gang, let's get together and do this good work and have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he and he's uh, he attributes a lot of his abilities, what he's doing to his his improvisational history and his background. And this, the teacher who he sent me to, Viola Spolin. Uh, and she specialized in, you know, creating improvisational games for people to play to, to learn how to do this stuff. That whole process is very much like he is, that there was no teacher or authoritarian. You really were a part of something much bigger than you, really. And you were glad to do whatever part you were there to do. And uh, I, I'm glad I, I, he, I'm glad he sent me to her. It was a really life changing experience, as he says it is for him as well. So it's and you were in, in the uh, Groundlings, Catherine. Yes. Wow. Was that what was that experience like? That's a wacky, kooky kind of world. It was really wacky. It was really wacky. Um, and again, I just sort of, you know, kind of backed into it. I I had just moved down here from San Francisco. I was had been commuting, doing commercials, and I had a next door neighbor, and she said, "You know, you're kind of funny. You should be in this group." <laughs> so I just said, "Okay." Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I mean, it was much easier to get in in those days. I, I guess I had an audition, but I don't know. It was, um, but it was, it was so much fun and a really good way. I mean, I had moved here without knowing many people. So those, those were kind of my first friends. Where, where and how did the groundlings perform, Catherine? 
They have their, they still have their theater on uh, Melrose. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, I was sort of, I was there when we opened that theater and I got to do some, I think I painted in the, the ladies restroom and <laughs> some stuff like that. You know, I mean, it was one of those yeah. really poor yeah. theater groups and we all just did everything. So. And all those people show up forever. I mean, for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. Groundlings graduates or right. alumna. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real bonding experience, isn't it, to be in a group like that? You really get a it sense is. about each other, it and you're is. really part of this wonderful group, and you love each yeah. other. I have people that I know from the group that I was in. I still talk to them constantly, and they're they're good buddies. It's really interesting. Oh, that's great. In fact, Rick Wan, it, Rick Wan, and I were in a play called Together Again, and Together Again was about an improvisational comedy group, The Odd Ducks. The Odd Ducks, yeah. And they'd split up and they'd gotten back together again. And it was a musical show about that process. And it was darn fun. That's how I met Rick many, many years ago. It was a good show written by Bruce Kimmel. I have to give him credit. Fascinating time. It had an amazing effect on many lives. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them were good. And some of them them were not so much. Yeah. yeah, but the good thing is we, we had a great friendship and still do yeah. from it. And that still I, do. I cherish. Still yeah. do. Yes. So, yes. Rick, how, how did you end up on MASH? You know what? I don't have a lot of TV sitcom credits, but I got sent on this by my agent, I suppose. I went to 20th Century Fox and I was naive enough at that point. I said, Jesus, I'm here on 20th Century Fox on the lot. <laughs> and I was walking to, I guess, Gene Reynolds' office, probably. And I, here I see, I'm walking by Stephen Bochco's place. And I said, oh, my God, this, I, this is what I've wanted to do all my life. And I went in for this reading. And um, I was just so thrilled to be there. And then it panned out. And I remember I was on the set there back on stage whatever it was nine stage nine nine. okay yeah it was inside i i didn't go to the ranch although i shot commercials on the ranch and seen all the mass stuff there right next to the planet of the apes set right jeff (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah. and uh (laughs) it's weird i mean look i'd sit there in that chair and alan aldo was across directing me and i said god in like a couple of weeks 20 million people are going to be watching me do this. Yeah. And and this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm doing. And it was just such a thrill to think that way. And it, it was great. I, I don't know how I ended up there. I don't know why they picked me. Um, it wasn't a very demanding role. I had no direct interaction with anyone except Alan because my stuff was, I was on the phone with... Um, Harry, yeah, with Harry, and, and with the uh, general who was mm-hmm. holding up the jeeps, but it was just me and a camera and a sandwich. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to ask about that sandwich. <laughs> that sandwich, boy, you chopped yeah. down on that thing. But yeah. so you uh, did you audition? I did for somebody. Yeah, was Alan there? Did you audition for him? He, or he was not there at the audition. Okay, maybe it was Joyce Robinson. It's, oh, could have been. Could have been. been. I was just so excited to be on the. Fox lot that you know and and to actually get something it was great how fun so you get the job and you go to stage nine and you get in and you they throw a little makeup on you and you well, sit down and, and, sh- and cut off all my hair 
because I had to be a GI, you know. So, oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it was weird because I had to jump on a plane like the next day and go be, a, I was a best man at my friend's wedding in New York. <laughs> and I looked like an jerk, you know, with hair that they just, <laughs> but anyway, it was all pretty worth it. It was, look, I, I've, I've cashed in on this for, what is it, almost 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And I still get checks and I still say, well, I, you know, I was on MASH. And, and yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Of course, now you were. I was on MASH. And, and you know, and you would, you were a very specific guy. You were the bad guy. I guess. Without you, that story wouldn't have existed. You're the guy who was yeah. doing the bad things that they all had to solve. Well, thanks, Jeff. I mean, there's probably only <laughs> 10 million other people who could have done it, but I'm glad that I was the one. Yes. And that sandwich, which you were really enjoying, whose idea was the sandwich? Wasn't mine. It must have been in the script. I look. I had no leverage there. I had no input. You know, like, huh? You just know it? Uh, okay. Uh, and uh, I did. And you know, I did a McDonald's commercial for one of their McRibs commercials, and they would keep shooting and shooting take after take. And they said, "Okay, eat it," and then spit it out. And they give me a bucket, and I said, "I can't spit out this food in a bucket." I was raised in Ohio. I'm a gentleman. I can't spit out my food. So I just ate it every time. And I probably ate about 400 McRib sandwiches. I was prepared for the sandwich on MASH. (laughs) Do you remember what the sandwich was? I do not. Okay. If you probably made it. <laughs> yeah. I, I Jeff, was, what was it? <laughs> was it shit? I think it was a green ham or something like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I never put that together that it must have come from your mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you weren't uh, you weren't in our, our camp. You were somewhere else. So I wouldn't have had any responsibility for that horrible food. Oh, right. Okay. All right. You're in the clear. Yeah. Then. Okay. yeah thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There were a lot of people outside ordering takeout from the floors. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I had a big, big idea one time. I was going to try and open up uh, Igor's mess tents in airports. <laughs> you go through a no, cafeteria. No, worked, Jeff. Yeah, might have. Yeah. I couldn't get any investors. <laughs> Nobody cared. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I have a little uh, thing here I want to read. This is from Alan Alda. Uh, Alan could not be with us, but he did send me some information. So I thought I'd read some of this stuff. He says, the thing I remember most about shooting the show was having to scramble for unusual props and locations and even trying to figure out different kinds of illusions was something that seemed to invigorate everybody on the set. There was an excitement of doing something radically different and trying to make it work as well as we could. So is that true? Did, we, did you experience that? I mean, it must be true. Alan said it, so I won't, <laughs> I won't dispute that. <laughs> what, what rings there for me is that Alan, I won't say it's his favorite word, but we'd go through a scene sometimes and he'd say, this is perfunctory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we need we need to find something. It's like it's like the sandwich, Rick. It's we need to find something to make this live. And uh, he would come up with wonderful ideas for. Well, while we're doing that, you know, let's let's have him eating a sandwich. Uh, or while we're doing this, let's uh, have somebody have a sore toe. Whatever it was, yeah. he was. Uh, I, I don't often use the word genius, but his genius. One of his geniuses was expressed in that in that way. Yeah. 
Well, he also said what we were doing in shows like that was following through on a promise Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart and I made to one another the night before the first rehearsal that we would not do a show that ignored the painful parts of war, one that consisted only of hijinks on the front. Uh, so that certainly was uh, part of MASH, absolutely. And certainly in, the, in Dreams, which is stunning. You know, I watched it a couple of times and I, I, I watched it once, you know, years ago and I went, oh, that's interesting. But I watched it again twice, and it really is interesting. The camera angles and the things that he did and the, the ideas that he came up with were really, it was pretty uh, kind of uh, revolutionary on television like that. I'd never seen anything like that back then, certainly. Eighth season out of how many, Jeff? Eleven seasons. Eleven, okay. So they were on firm ground then, and, and as Mike said, he could pretty much do what he wanted to do. Yeah. It, you know, we, we've got interesting um, comments from, what do you think, Ryan? Should I show, read some of those? Those are kind of cool. We could read a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, let's read a couple of them. One of them, and, and this is... Uh, These are listener comments. Listener comments. Kathy said, it's my least favorite episode. Gives me nightmares. Mm. T. Lynn says, wow, this is not one of my favorite episodes as a budding mental health practitioner. <laughs> I think this, ep- we're going to get back to you, Catherine, in a minute about this. <laughs> uh, budding mental health practitioner, I think this episode gives a stunning insight into the inner workings of what working under constant stress and trauma can do to human beings. For an episode produced in 1980, when we had only a rudimentary understanding of PTSD and the effects of trauma on the human brain, this can only be described in a word often used to describe MASH as a series groundbreaking. Hmm. Now, Catherine, can we talk about your other career? You you were a fine actress. You did some wonderful things, especially uh, MASH, and you didn't fall down their stairs. I didn't. (laughs) But then you went into the mental health profession. I did. I did. I I got into it. I sort of backed into it. I'll make this part quick. But when I was still in the Groundlings, I volunteered to teach improvisational acting with one of the other players at a boys lodge. And these kids were all um, in residential treatment because uh, actually they'd come out of juvenile hall. And I was so interested in how they got there, you know, what went on that these young people, you know, instead of enjoying high school, were in a residential treatment for uh, kids who uh, you know, had some pretty heavy duty behaviors. So um, I just thought, well, I, you know, I think I'll take a class or two. And the next thing I knew, I was in a master's program and then, a, and then in a doctorate program. And I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm still practicing. So, but, but, you know, I don't know if you want me to comment your, your listener who just wrote that piece did a very, very nice job of describing post-traumatic or traumatic nightmares, dreams. Uh, It is a way of re-experiencing trauma is to dream about it. And it can either be an actual replay, a very vivid replay of something traumatic or in this case, it you know, as it was, it can be symbolic. So, you know, when I went back and watched this episode again, I saw it with very, very different eyes than I'd seen as somebody who was just pleased to have gotten a, you know, such a sweet part. And I think especially in the context now of what we've seen, you know, healthcare workers go through during COVID, just the horrendous, you know, stress that they were under and, and the trauma of trying to take care of too many people and too many people who were dying. Certainly what we're even seeing today in Ukraine with uh, 
in a televised war that we get to watch all this this trauma and, and devastation. So yeah, the it really it, it's very interesting to revisit this episode. The dreams that were portrayed in the episode, do you think that that was accurate? Did they get that right? Yeah, well, as I said, they were symbolic. So, you know, I found um, Alan's dream where he had lost arms Mm -hmm. to be uh, especially telling that this helpless, awful feeling that surgeons must have had that you know, that doctors and nurses had just of being so helpless to take care of so many people and, um, you know, not being able to save many of them. And just the loss of hope, you know, that people feel you think you want to go home and all of a sudden your wife fades away or you're going to get married and your fiance is brutally killed. And yeah. I think it's interesting too, that Potter's dream is not a bad dream. It's actually a good right. dream. He's going back and reliving his youth. Yeah. And, you know, and Potter was the career man. He was the one who was in the army for longer than anybody else and had seen several wars. So it's interesting that, that the war didn't invade his dreams in the same way that it did everybody else because it was still newer and fresher to them. He just wanted to, yeah, that was very poignant. And what a nice horseman he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. Really? Yeah. Bareback, yeah. And barefoot. <laughs> he really noticed that. He rode so well. No, that was yeah. very poignant, just wanting to be back home and your mom making, what was it, muffins? Muffins. Or, yeah. yeah. That was the name of his horse, too, wasn't it? Muffins? <laughs> I cannot confirm that. I cannot confirm that. When we had Alan on the podcast, he was surprised to hear how much pushback it's, it's kind of right down the middle. It's 50, 50. When we were Mm -hmm. asking for comments from listeners, half of them really liked it. Half of them were like, I I can't watch this. This is the one I skip. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, Mike, especially were you aware of the fans reaction, the controversy that some fans were like, no, this is not my mash. Were you aware of it? And what was your reaction to it? Not, I wasn't uh, aware of it specifically as regards uh, a judgment of the show uh, in general. Cause you know, before I came to the show, they had the show where uh, what's his name's character died, Colonel Colonel Blake. Uh, yeah, Colonel Blake. Yeah, they got a lot of negative reaction to that as well. Yeah, but I thought I, I thought that was one of the beauties of the show is that they took those kinds of chances, took those kinds of risks, and continued as uh, you indicated that Alan and Larry and Gene had agreed that continued to make the point that love that 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 war hurts that mm-hmm. uh, not, none of this stuff uh, blood is not spilled without cost. Uh, it's what I keep saying to people about when they ask me what I thought the show meant. It's you know war hurts uh, and we can't forget that. And we were doing a television show. We knew that, and we were ent- entertaining people. We knew that there had to be a constant awareness of the reality of what we were dealing with kids losing limbs or as Catherine said losing you know their lives uh, uh, and um, for me i think dreams is probably the archetype of the form breakers uh, you know because we, we did form breakers with the camera being the you the, the point of view yeah yeah point of view yeah, yes yeah. we did a, a number of those um mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't think there was anything to equal dreams in terms of being so pointed and, and making it clear to people that this does not happen without cost. 
And uh, I want to make, if I may, I want to make a point that's off point, but not. Uh, Catherine talked about being moved by working with young people and moving <laughs> just casually going on to a couple of classes that turned into a master's degree and a doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Good point. Most of your work, Catherine, it remains to be with, uh, with, with kids, isn't it? Correct. Yes. A real quick jump from being an improvisational actress to <laughs> a really good therapist. <laughs> that, that was a, it isn't, a, actually. You don't usually <laughs> snap that easily. <laughs> you might be surprised. <laughs> So, Rick and Catherine, for both of you, this was your first episode of MASH. Not only was it your first episode, but you are appearing on what is one of the most polarizing episodes, one of the most well-known episodes of MASH. (laughs) Yeah. What what was it like to not only, you know, know that you're going to be on the show, but then when you see the script or when you watch the show, you're like, wow, what was I a part of? I was just thrilled. This was back when TV Guide was a major deal, and my name would, was in the TV Guide listing. <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, <laughs> I'm a TV Guide. I've wanted all my life." And I was there. I was on TV. I had my face was on the card at the end with my credit. You know, yeah. and I, wow, Zow, this was great. I mean, I recognize the specialness of the show and the theme and all. And, and I don't know. I, 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 I had mixed feelings about it at the time and probably still do. I mean, it, there's entertainment and there's preaching and stuff. But this was entertainment. And it's great to take leaps forward and, and consider your cachet. And being able to do that sort of thing is pretty remarkable. And I admire the people who took those risks at the time. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. You know, only last week, I think I got a check for $11 for being in it. So there you go. You're welcome. (laughs) It was great. It was a great experience. And, you know, look, Jeff and I have met not because of MASH, but he's one of my stalwart friends and I'm forever grateful for that. Thank you. Yes, me too. Catherine, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, very similar. And I think it, it, I felt, you know, to be honest, you know, honored to be on the show. You know, I found the episode when I finally saw it, you know, I was quite taken back by it and, and moved by it. But as I said, it was really in retrospect, as I guess, you know, as life goes by and, and we see what's really going on in the world now, um, it has even a, a deeper meaning, to be honest, you know, and I, and I think like Rick, I was, pretty tickled just <laughs> be on mash right yeah i'm trying to remember if i got a script or just sides and mm-hmm. didn't i wonder yeah now, I, was trying to, I'm, I was trying to think of that too exactly yeah i don't know if i had the context at the time mm-hmm. or what difference that would have made you know I, I feel that I did not have a complete script of that. I still have the script from the other show I did, I think, someplace. I'll have to check and see if I have two scripts or just one. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't think I had the context. Mike, when you first read the script, did you go, oh, wow. <laughs> is there a, hey, look at this. No, I, I went, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on. Hey. Hello, hello. Jump back, folks. What are you doing? I get Alan on the phone and say, hey, <laughs> what's up here? 
Yeah. Well, it's such a visual episode. There's not a lot of dialogue, especially in the dreams. So it probably doesn't translate to the page very well. Mm, yeah. And there were so many, he used so many unique cam- camera angles mm-hmm. and uh, effects to, mm-hmm. you know, to keep you in the dream sequence that, uh, yeah, you probably wouldn't get that initially when you read a script. You wouldn't go, oh, yeah. Right. But there were great, great moments that he used uh, photogenically to do all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It seems like BJ's and Peg's dream or BJ's dream was not quite as uh, dramatic, except for the fact that you lost somebody. You suddenly were losing this loved one there and you were forced to go back into this arena of horror and and you lost a, a love. Am I am I off beat there? Am I wrong, or is that the? No, no. I think that was a piece of it. That you know, it's there is there's this moment of remembrance, of comfort, of being together, and then Harry says, "Hey, there's somebody bleeding here." Yeah, get back in the game. Yeah, yeah. I think the opening because the first uh, dream was Loretta's, and we had that opening with her, and the end shot in her bridal gown covered with blood. That that got you right away. <laughs> You go, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't your normal match. Yeah. Yowie. Yeah. Mike, from your first episode, we heard about Peg. We would hear about Peg all the time. Now, here a few seasons later, we're seeing Peg for the first time. As an actor, does it help you to be able to finally put a face to the character that you are in love with, that you're married to? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Catherine is perfect. In every sense of the word. Well, that's what her husband says. I've yeah. said that many times. <laughs> yeah. In your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> if I may, in the uh, interest of full disclosure, you are married to one of the foremost writers of MASH, Alan Katz, who wrote many, many wonderful episodes, as well as many other things. So I just want to give that credit. Now, you didn't know Alan then, did you? I didn't. I didn't. I met him shortly thereafter. I met him because I was in the Groundlings and his sister was one of the stars of the Groundlings. And so he came, I guess, to a show to see her and noticed me or something happened. And uh, yeah, so I, I met him, you know, not too long after I'd shot that episode. Mike, there was another uh, person on this particular episode, and it was somebody who worked with you not only on screen, but behind the scenes. Connie Isay, she was a technical director who was a nurse, but she also did some acting and she appeared on screen for a few episodes. And this was her final screen appearance. What are your memories of Connie? Connie was a a surgical nurse and a wonderful, wonderful woman. Just Just a delight to work with and used to be there for us to explain what the procedures were that we were involved with and how to, how, what we should be doing to be doing them correctly. And had, you know, we had Walt DeShell, who was a doctor who would come in and give us some ideas as well. But Connie was there regularly and that Walt came in periodically. Connie was a, just a gem and uh, it was a huge loss when she passed. It was a shock to everybody. And, uh, what do you say? You know, it's like when wheels comes on. Yeah. Yeah. Alan said, I realized that there were many people who enjoyed the show for its humor uh, and didn't want to see references to the cost of war, like the episode in which Henry Blake dies. And that's just exactly what you were talking about, Mike. Mm. Yeah. He also says, and I'm, I'm just reading these because he, you know, I said, hey, well, just give us some thoughts. 
we had the chance in 250 plus episodes uh, we did to work in many styles, comedy, drama, slapstick, satire, and others. And we had the chance to experiment with different forms of storytelling. Whatever the style, we tried to give it everything we had. Sometimes a show would work for some people and not for others. But I'm grateful to the audience that let us come back week after week and allowed us to try and grow. My everlasting thanks to the people in the audience who cared about the show enough to react to it with such passion um, that they loved it and they didn't like it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true. And it's true. It was really a marvelous piece of the show because there was very much an awareness of the fact that we should not talk down to the audience. We, we have to respect the audience and understand that they expected us to be as good as we could possibly be and not phone it in. And nobody did. I mean, I, I was there for a bunch and I, you know, I was very grateful to be there and to have experienced everybody who was on that set. Actors, writers, directors, crew, everybody. And like you were saying, Mike, it was a, it was a happy place. It just was an extraordinary experience. And I've been on other sets, never, ever felt any of that. A little bit. I mean, it's show business and everybody's happy to have a job, but nothing ever like the MASH experience ever. If I may, it, it departs a bit from the theme. We're talking about dreams, but there was an episode we did just to talk about the differences from the audience point of view. An episode we did where Alan Fudge played a soldier who was in shock and thought he was Jesus. Yes. And talked about from, from the point of view of being Jesus and talking about the war. And we got harangued by a minister in the South who thought it was sacrilegious and it was terrible and how dare we. And, and uh, it was, you know, this hideous thing and he was uh, going to boycott us at whatever. And the same, the day, next day, we got a letter from a minister in the South who said, that show is going to be my sermon. Wow. <laughs> wow. The, the differences in people's ability to appreciate what the show was doing and saying was really yeah. quite Do you think MASH could exist today? Do you think you could do, I mean, as polarized as the country is? I mean, I wonder, I mean, from what Mike just said, the different viewpoints, I wonder, I wonder now about the liberal versus conservative thing, if it would survive. I'm not quite so sure it would. Good question. I have my doubts, uh, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot more Frank Burns in the world now. <laughs> and, and, and not enough Larry Linville's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. enough Larry Linville's. Let me see if I can find one more. Yeah. Kevin Wizardo says, I never liked it. And it stems from when I was a kid. It just sort of freaked me out. Even today, when I see it 35 years later, I remember the weird feeling I had when I first saw it, especially when Hawkeye pulls up his arms and then is in that boat surrounded by limbs. The whole thing is just strange. Yeah. And we heard a lot of that. We heard a lot of uh, when I saw it as a kid, it scared the hell out of me. Now that I'm a grown up, I, I get it. I understand what it's about. And to that point, Carrie says, I found it very disturbing. But let's face it, MASH wasn't Mary Tyler Moore and war can be extremely disturbing. It's a difficult one to watch. You know, this episode aired in February of 1980. How remarkable is it that not only are we doing a podcast about the entire series of MASH as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the premiere, but how remarkable is it that here we are 42 years later talking about a particular episode and how it still has such a tremendous impact on viewers today? Yeah, well said. 
And that's really a tribute to Alan and 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 to the show and to the willingness of everybody involved to be uh, to be part of something like that. I think that part of it is that you had the after eight seasons, you earned the right to go out on a limb for an episode like this that you wouldn't be able to do now. I mean, what did you do? Twenty two episodes a year. Twenty five. Twenty five. I mean, you look at the old Lucy and. Dick Van Dyke and stuff were doing 39 a year right. you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But you'd gained the, the right to experiment. And I'm not sure that happens so much today. Well, maybe it does on cable and all these other channels. But yeah, that was, that was something to be able to have the ability to experiment like that. And it was worthwhile. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. I've always said I'm the luckiest actor in the world to have been able to be part of it for most of the time it was on the air. Well, it wasn't all luck. You were the right guy at the right time for the yeah, right part. And yeah. you did it beautifully. So it wasn't all luck, my friend. Thank you. There was some talent involved. Agreed. I'm, I'm really grateful and happy you were all able to be here and we could talk about this. I think you're all such a vital part of the moment that that episode had. And uh, it's fun to be able to relive it. And, to you know, didn't we create a reunion between, you know, Peg and uh, BJ? Here? Yeah. That's a reunion. Together again. Yeah. <laughs> Together again. Hey. <laughs> you guys want to renew your vows while you're here? We could, you know. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> let, me, let me add a, a postscript. Uh, we were at an event. We went to an event at the Writers Guild Theater. Uh, my first wife. Uh, Judy Farrell played Nurse Abel on the show a number of times. Uh, and uh, uh, after the show was over, uh, Shelly and I got married. And we went to, to an event with Judy and her husband. And at the door met Alan and uh, <laughs> Catherine. And he turned around and he said, Mike Farrell and his three wives. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, always, always so uh, that's great. appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Mr. Alan Katz. That's yeah, great. There what a great moment. There you go. That's great. Well, hey, thank you, everybody. Uh, hugs to everybody. I love you all. I really appreciate you being here. We do appreciate it. Ryan and I love doing this podcast, and we love it when anybody comes on and, and participates with it. So, Thank you so much. A great pleasure. Thank you. That pleasure is ours. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Ryan. This was fun. Always fun to talk you. Thanks. Our special thanks to Rick Wan, Catherine Bergstrom, and the great Mike Farrell for joining us for this very uh, interesting conversation about dreams. Well, it certainly was a, a unique and different episode and certainly shows off the uh, incredible imagination and talent of Alan, who, you know, created something totally different for this episode and and uh, delved into the difficulties that they were having, mm-hmm. boiled it re- right down to the bare bones of what was happening to all of those people. So it was quite an episode. Very impressive. I'm just sad that we never got to see Igor's dream. You know, <laughs> it's probably something about Tomeng poisoning or something. <laughs> I, I would imagine. The weenie was trying to cream him, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, hey, let's read a few more of these listener comments that came in about dreams. Hey, sounds like a good idea. And Donna says, as a child, I didn't like this episode and often didn't watch it. It was creepy, especially the lake of body parts and Klinger seeing himself on the operating table. As an adult, it's still not a favorite, but I appreciate how they showed that war changes everyone who lives through it, and I'll watch it if it's on. BJ says, I think that dreams is a risky concept that pays off. The fact that it makes me uncomfortable means that it's working. It's chilling and brilliant. That's a good point, BJ. I like mm-hmm. that. That's mm-hmm. a really good point. And Lorianne says, I think it's brilliant in every way, but I can't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I get too emotional. Yeah. And Anne says, this isn't my favorite episode. I understand why it was written, though. It gives insight into how drained the doctors and nurses were, how exhausted they were in that they couldn't even sleep without dreaming of the war. I imagine many men and women who have served in war zones would absolutely relate to this episode. Mm -hmm. Yes, I imagine you are correct, Anne. Yeah. And uh, again, Alan, thank you for, for sending us some of your comments. And one of them that I thought was interesting is that he said, we were telling stories about people who lived and sometimes died in harrowing circumstances, and we didn't want to ignore that. And certainly that episode certainly doesn't ignore it. That's true. Hey, we want to say thank you to our Patreon VIPs. Here are just a few, including Private Ingen Gruntenjern from Norway. Boy, I know that I destroyed <laughs> your name. I tried. Uh, and of course, there's Private John Helms. Corporal Thomas Fiery. And Corporal Jason Vivona. Captain Lisa Fetzko. Now, you know, our, our friend Lisa was one of our first Patreon VIPs way back in the day. And she stepped away from Patreon for a little bit, but now she has re-enlisted. So welcome back, Captain Fetzko. Thank you, Lisa Fetzko. Thank you. And there's Captain Charlie Lipset. Yes, and Major Karenjeet Singh Budeo. Isn't that's a fun name to hear, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <That's the greatest laughs> you can you can kind of move to that name. And of course, there's Major Derek Wade. Thank you for your support. You too can support the show uh, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to matchmatters.com slash support and you can become a Patreon VIP. That does it for this dream episode of MASH Matters. We want to thank once again Catherine Bergstrom, Rick Wan, and Mike Farrell for being a part of this episode. And it goes without saying thank you to Mr. Alan Alda again for not only uh, commenting on this and uh, actually thank you very much for uh, making dreams, that dreams Mm -hmm. episode, which causes all this hoopla. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Causes us to have our own dreams. Own dreams, yeah. (laughs) We hope, Alan, you're having pleasant dreams. (laughs) Yes. And pleasant dreams to us all. Until next time, here's looking up your old address. 